Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Joey Schwartz is an 18-year-old proponent of the carnivore diet. He is currently attending UCLA, where he hopes to continue the discussion in the journey towards establishing the link between nutrition and disease. He is a firm believer in the efficacy of a carnivore diet in both curing and preventing a plethora of health issues. His popular YouTube channel, Carnivore Camaraderie, is a platform that he uses to share content in the form of anecdotal experiences, hard science, and interviews with professionals. These conversations serve to reinforce his belief that a carnivore diet is an incredible, if unconventional, step for most people to achieve good health. Joey has a unique perspective in the carnivore community thanks to his appeal to a younger demographic. He hopes that, by spreading the right message, he can improve the health and wellness of those around him and those who find his scientifically backed information on social media, on Instagram, at carnivore underscore camaraderie, and YouTube, at carnivore camaraderie. Joey Schwartz, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. It's, it's truly an honor. I don't know how you just like kind of magically appeared out of nowhere in the carnivore community. I feel like I have a, a close kind of pulse on what's coming up. All of a sudden, your name started popping up everywhere. And like, who's this 18-year-old kid doing carnivore? I'm so jealous. First of all, he's like half my age, probably feeling amazing. And you've been able to share a lot of your message, like we said in the introduction, and, and be hosted on a lot of cool shows around the world. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it, it's great. Um, I, you know, I, it, the growth has been really, really fast. It, it's been awesome to see, and I, I can sort of attribute that to a lot of the people in the carnivore space who are willing to give me a platform to talk. And, uh, it's just such a, it, it's so great that they were willing to give me that opportunity because it's allowed me to reach a lot of people, a lot of young people, actually a lot of just people my age. And, um, I'm happy that I'm able to make a difference and I, I owe it all to people like you and, uh, who are willing to give me a, a voice on, on their platforms. Well, it's an honor to host you, and we're so grateful to have you and your perspective being a young person, and again, being, being my age, 38, so jealous that you found this diet. I was still eating pe- peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I believe, when I was your age. Um, and, yeah. And so, yeah, it, it's it's cool that you're able to share that perspective, which I love, and I think you'll relate to this. We talk about this a lot. We love being outliers. We love to be the ones that are in our neighborhoods, barefoot, shirts off, walking in the sunshine. My wife got stopped by a neighbor yesterday. She was on a little bit of a walk and this guy was like, what, what are you doing? Are you like training for something? And my wife was like, I'm just on a walk. And he's like, well, doesn't that hurt your feet to walk barefoot? And she's like, well, no, like it feels really good actually. And it's cool that we can do that here on the outskirts of Salt Lake City. We can still feel like we're outliers, but you, holy smokes, a carnivore in in Los Angeles, that's an outlier, my friend. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. And I, I do the whole barefoot thing too. In my neighborhood, people ask me, what are you doing? Like, I understand the shirt off. Like, that makes sense. So why are your shoes off too? It's like, it feels good. <laughs> it feels good. Um, no, no. Yeah, I'm definitely an outlier. Um, you know, I'm in a world of, of vegans and uh, I'm, I'm a carnivore. So uh, it's very different. Um, there's a major sort of dichotomy that's going on here. And, you know, I've, I've mixed opinions about it. On one hand, it gives me an opportunity to sort of uh, project my beliefs onto a group of people who are not really uh, to a group of people who haven't really heard this idea before. And therefore they're more, maybe um, there's more potential change. Like you can, you can affect a group of people who don't agree with you more than you can affect people, a group of people who do agree with you. So, you know, there's positives and negatives. Um, Sometimes it's uncomfortable, but you know, you just sort of toughing it out, I guess. Yeah. So I'm curious on that note, um, have you had any, um, let's see, positive 
interactions talking with somebody, a vegetarian, a vegan, where it didn't end up this like crazy debate? Yeah, I have. Um, it, it really just depends on how they go about the conversation. Like you can find out almost instantly whether or not this conversation has the potential to be productive or if it's just simply going to be a back and forth sort of ideological clash. And uh, so, you know, sometimes people are, are just really curious and they're really inquisitive and they're asking me a lot of questions. And because they truly want to understand, I think that's the best thing. I love when people ask questions and when they're curious. And that happens relatively often, actually. Um, I came to UCLA thinking that people would just be, you know, really entrenched in their own views. And to a, to a degree, that's true. But there's some people who just want to know the, the answers, who, you know, want to understand. And they're respectful about it. Um, so th that's been great. I, uh, I've convinced some people to go carnivore, like some friends. And they're experiencing amazing results. I don't think maybe I don't think I've turned vegans to carnivores yet, um, but I, I'm I'm hoping to do that. I, I think I think uh, it's within the realm of possibility to do that at one point. Just because there's so there's such a large pool of vegans here to, to choose from, and it's like it's kind of possible for that to happen. It'd be cool. Sure. Um, yeah, and then yeah, so. For negative interactions, they happen. Uh, they, they happen sometimes, especially when it comes to the environmental stuff and the ethical stuff, just because like a lot of vegans can accept that maybe their diet isn't best for optimal health, like because they can sort of reconcile with that and put that to the side. But then once they concede to that point, it's usually, well, how about the environment? And even if I bring up some, some sound points, some really logical ideas, this this meat is bad for the environment mantra is being purported so heavily. It's just, um, it's almost like being endorsed to the point where they can't get, wrap their heads around any sort of contrary ideology or belief, um, regardless of the evidence that I provide. So that, that's the one thing I haven't really been able to find much common ground on with plant-based proponents. It's the environmental thing. Um, and it doesn't have to do with the quality of evidence. It just has to do with their sort of uh, the fact that they've been conditioned to, to such a high degree. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. You didn't hear about this 10 years ago. Nobody in the plant-based world was talking about saving the planet. And now everybody is talking about it. It's a brilliant thing to do to get people over on that side because you're right. I, I think a lot of people, their arguments will break down as far as the nutrition goes pretty quick. But if yeah. you've got the, the ethics and the environment also, you know, on your side, like that, that's, you know, it's, it's really enticing. It's empowering for people to think that they're doing a, a, a amazing service to the planet by eating a beyond burger or whatever. Yeah, it's absolutely right. terrible. So yeah, I, I understand why they go there. Um, but yeah, again, I I'm really, I'm really happy to hear you say that you have been able to have productive and positive conversations with people and be able to share information. That certainly has not been much of my experience so far with some of this stuff, but it's really encouraging to hear that that's happening, especially with people at a younger age. I think we're used to saying that, you know, we've got carnivores and they're over here and vegans are way over here and it's the opposite end of a scale. And I really like to say like, no, like, why don't we redo the scale? And let's say that carnivores and vegans care about what they eat. They do care about the planet. They're thoughtful about what they eat. And then you've got this whole other group of people on the scale that don't care at all. And they're eating processed food. At least they're being thoughtful about their food. We've got a lot in common. Yeah, no, no absolutely. Um, and you know, veganism is closer to carnivore than the standard American diet is. So while here you have the meat eaters here, you have the middle ground and here you have the vegans. 
we're still closer together than these people are because at least the vegans, as you said, care about their health. They're on that road. They're on that journey to finding the right diet. And that's why you have all these vegans who are carnivore. I mean, so many of them I'm getting, I have a, like my schedule for the next month is just loaded with vegan to carnivore stories. Just the most incredible stories. Um, just packed schedule doing these interviews. And I, I love doing them that they're amazing. And so, you know, th this is what we're seeing, but you're not seeing carnivore to vegan stories. Then you never will like these don't exist simply because once you go carnivore, you found the right thing, but yeah, you know, it vegan, we do, we do have some more in common with vegans than we tend to, um, you know, agree to like yeah. then we tend to admit yeah totally well on that note of telling awesome stories let's talk about your story you grew up in a really unique environment with your mom being into nutrition right i, I would say that your whole life nutrition was probably a big piece of, of what you you know were thinking about and and I, something you had to grapple with growing up yeah i always was fascinated by it always was super super into it always trying to eat healthy even when i was young like really really young I was trying to eat healthy, like, I, like really young, <laughs> like to, where, where most kids were eating ice creams all the time. I was avoiding it because I knew it was unhealthy. Um, that, that like, it was crazy kind of, uh, yeah. I mean, but, but uh, it was, it was, we were eating low fat. So we were eating vegetables and salads and chicken breasts. And, uh, you know, um, we were cooking with oils rather than butter. There was no butter really in the house. Uh, so we, we, we were eating, the version of healthy that's in alignment with the version that's sort of propagated by the government and the guidelines and stuff like that, uh, which is sort of what you would expect seeing as my mom was a product of the dietetics association and that sort of line of education. Um, so th that's what I was eating. I was super health conscious. I didn't really think there was anything more to it. Like I didn't think about the possibility that there were other diets that were best. It was more just, you know, you eat the plant foods, you eat the the lean proteins and that's it. That's the answer. Um, th there's no other way, but it was when that started not working for me, for me anymore that I realized, well, there has to be another way because if people are continually getting fat, eating this diet, well, then something isn't right. You know, something's not right as a population. We are not doing very well to say that, oh, it's because people don't follow the diet. People don't follow, they don't, they don't listen to their doctors and do what they say. It's like, uh, I don't think so. I, I think there's something wrong with the actual diet itself. The idea that it's the vegetables and the lean protein that's going to allow you to reach an optimal state of health. And I, uh, you know, I was getting my own skin issues. I was feeling fatigued all the time. I wasn't in a good mental state, you could say. And um, so I, I, yeah, that's a conclusion that I reached. And as an extension of that, started researching more, uh, learning about low carb diets versus high carb diets, realizing that the low carbs are doing better every time. So got into that, did keto, but lots of vegetables. So I got some benefits, but also some, some pitfalls as well, just because, uh, so many vegetables, like so many, um, just destroyed my skin, uh, made my skin react, made me tired, made me bloated. Um, and then eventually come across Paul Saladino, who's talking about fruits and how they're, a much better alternative to vegetables because they're less toxic and because they're the part of the fruit that the fruit that the plant wants you to eat so it can spread its seeds. And this was a line of logic that really resonated with me. It made a lot of sense just from a sort of just employing common sense. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do this, did fruit and meat for six months. And then just kind of had a moment where I'm like, 
what the hell am I doing eating fruit every day? If I'm trying to live an ancestrally appropriate natural diet, this makes no sense. This fruit would not have existed in nature. And not only that, um, it is, this fruit wouldn't have existed year round. So I got rid of the fruit and with the exception of a few berries with my yogurt every now and then, um, I'm carnivore now. It's just been carnivore for six, seven months and just, you know, changed my life really. Yeah. That's so awesome. What an amazing story. And I was going to say, so, so based on the timeline, this would have been 2021, kind of like the end of summer, starting of your senior school year, 2021. Was that about the timeline? Yes. Yeah. It was about when I started my senior year that I was doing fruit and meat, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say it was sometime around 2020 that Paul Saladino kind of changed his message as well, where he was like really strict carnivore and then started to incorporate more of the fruits. And I I think there's a lot of people that can debate, you know, which, which version was better at the end of the day, people need to try and see what works best for them. I think, what would you say about that? Yeah. A lot of thoughts on Paul Saladino. I've been, I've been sort of talking about him a lot lately, lately thinking about him a lot. And, um, I think, you know, while I do have a ton of respect for, for the guy, so much respect that he was able to admit that he was, that he thinks he was wrong and changed his opinion. Um, because a lot of people can't do that. I mean, these vegan doctors who have been just using that same idea for 20 years will never change no matter what. I respect that Paul Saldino uh, is willing to sort of, um, just make some adjustments, uh, even if they're wrong at least he speaks his mind and he believes what he's doing. The thing is, I don't believe what he's doing. So he can believe it, but I really, really don't. And the reason I don't believe it is because it it doesn't make sense. Like it quite simply does not make any sense that one would need to eat a bunch of fruit, a bunch of carbohydrates, just simply understanding the, just the physiological implications of eating a bunch of carbohydrates. I mean, this isn't, this is not something the average person can tolerate. I mean, with his, insane levels of cardio, which I don't even believe to be healthy for him whatsoever. It makes sense that he can sort of burn through that, that sugar and, um, do fine. Cause he's so active, but for the average person doing what he's doing is an absurd idea. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous uh, because you're not going to be that active. And even if you are that active, it's still probably likely that you can't tolerate all that fruit, all that sugar and still feeling as mentally clear and just overall as good as you otherwise would. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think he has it right. I think he's, uh, I don't think it's, it's, uh, morally just of him to say to everyone that you need to eat fruit in your diet. I think if he wants to say that there's a spectrum with regards to how much fruit you can actually tolerate, that's fine. If you want to say, eat some fruit in the summer months when it's warm out, that's fine. But if you're saying just, Everyone needs to eat fruit. Even if it's freezing cold, you're in Russia, you need to eat fruit. It's like, mm, I, I don't, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think that's the right approach. Yeah. I, I agree with you. <laughs> um, I, it really turned me off when he was using the argument to say, this is an ancestral way of living. And it's like, mm, no, we didn't have Bartlett pears. We didn't have Fuji apples. Like if you saw what yeah. a true apple is, it's a lot smaller. It's not as sweet. Like, like we're, we're making these fruits. We're making navel oranges. Those, those are not like natural fruits. And they, they are seasonal, like we said, and, and across the planet in different places. We even talked to somebody who lives in Costa Rica, um, Jorge Roman. And he told me like, it's, it was really surprising when he got down there. There's not just a lot of, random fruit growing everywhere. And he was expecting that, you know, based on everything that, it, that he had learned, um, that he didn't see it in his experience, at least where he was. And I also just think like, <clears throat> I think if you're Paul Saladino and you want to do that, you can do that. But guess, 
guess how many Paul Saladinos I coach on carnivore? Like none. Like the people that I coach struggle with carbohydrates. They're addicted to carbohydrates. They're already overweight. They're not metabolically healthy. Like if not, they wouldn't be coaching with me anyway. And that's where the messaging is really tough. And a lot of people are really thrown off by it. And so that part I think is a little bit tricky as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. Yeah. I, I just, I don't think he's got it right. I think he's doing more harm. Um, well, actually, no, I think he's doing more good than harm to be, to be totally honest with you. He's still going animal based and all that stuff, but he's not, he's not doing as much good as he otherwise could. And for the people who he's encouraging to go on these high sugar diets, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's for some people, it's having a net negative. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and again, I also agree with you that he's doing more positive than negative and we love that message. Yeah. And I think the more of us that are promoting each other and helping each other out and finding different ways of doing this is all great, but, but you're right. It's, it's tough with that kind of messaging for the average person. Um, I love that right. you mentioned the research that you did and you have done an amazing amount of research and you had quite the opportunity to put that research to use. Can you tell us about your project in your senior year? Yeah, yeah, I can. Um, so I, we were given an assignment where we have to write a persuasive essay on a topic of our choosing. This was a point where I'm sort of getting into carnivore. Um, and I'm like, okay, well I could write this essay on some stupid topic. Like should schools have uniforms or like just something that's kind of irrelevant and get it, get an easy a and move on with my life. Or I could take the opportunity to do something that I've wanted to do anyway, which is get a good foundation of my understanding of the carnivore diet and why this would be good for health. Um, just to really convince myself and to have a good piece of work that I can show other people and other people can use eventually. Um, it's going to be published soon, <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's, that, that, that was my motivation for doing it. But very quickly I realized, well, the requirement for this essay is four or five pages, right? But I can't make an argument in that short period of time in, in that short amount of space, it wouldn't simply wouldn't work because we don't have something as simple as a randomized controlled trial where you randomize one group to a keto diet and one group to carnivore and another group to vegan. It's like, that doesn't exist, um, in, in any sort of way. So I need to take another approach. There needs to be another way for me to establish this. And what I did was I took a less direct route. So I proposed like nine premises and if you accepted every single one of them, which I made sure you kind of had to, because I cited so much evidence for each one, you're left with the conclusion that the only diet that's possible to be healthy, like the only potential one that could be good for you, is a carnivore diet. So I, I can like sort of walk you through it if you want. Um, I would love that. I, yeah. Um, I started the essay just talking about the deterioration of, of health over the past 200 years, you could say, and how that's just correlated very, very strongly with a loss of animal fat, a loss of animal protein and an increase in seed oils and stuff like that. So, uh, the, the, the correlation from a, on a larger scale with, um, animal foods and disease is inversely correlated. Um, so that, that, that's the first sort of thing that people need to understand. And then I set, set my thesis, which is basically that you need to eat a carnivore diet because of all these different reasons. And the first one that I start with is ketosis. So I basically talk about how there you, your body can run on fat or it can run on carbohydrate. Uh, and when you're in a ketogenic state, you're running on fat. And there's so there's a huge body of evidence for this. I, I was scouring different studies and just trying to understand what the best evidence to pull would be. And so I grabbed a ton of evidence onto why keto is just 
simply best relative to a state where you're burning mostly glucose. And that information was easy. Like you have things like babies are born in the state of ketosis. Like that's pretty solid evidence right there. We are literally born in ketosis. Um, and there's all these things about how it's preventative in type two diabetes and they're comparing low fat diets and high fat diets and seeing how that affects various biomarkers and um, antioxidant defense and ketone bodies and what they do and anti-inflammatory uh, measures. And just, I studied, studied a ton of sources, explained them and just sort of established it that, well, being in a state where you're burning fat is, is best. And the next thing that I talked about was carbohydrates. So I talked about why carbohydrates are unhealthy. And this was relatively simple. There, we have no requirement for them. That's number one. We don't need a single carbohydrate ever. Uh, just the effect of you know glucose, how cancer cells thrive on it via the Warburg effect, um, how carbohydrates lead to AGEs, advanced glycation end products. Just, I really went into establishing why glucose is bad. And then of course, with the fruit craze, I then did a separate session devoted to fructose and how it's actually even more inflammatory, even more, um, uh, has an even more glycative effect than glucose causes more production of triglycerides. And you're basically, um, it, just a ton of evidence how it causes fatty liver. And then I talked about the biological, um, or like evolutionary, you could say foundation for why that would exist and that eating a bunch of fruit gets us fat so we can survive the winter and we can have body fat when there's uh, less animals around, which makes perfect sense. So fruit just has that fat, um, has a like fat putting on effect, you could say. Um, and so the, the, those were the first couple things. Then I talked about vegetables and how they're the parts of the plant that clearly don't want to be eaten. So they're the roots, the stems, the leaves, the tubers, the, you know, the roots, all that stuff. And these are the parts of the plant that essentially foster the growth of the fruit, which wants to be eaten so it can spread its seeds. And as a result, there's all these defense mechanisms within them. So you have phytates, lectins, uh, saponins, um, glyphosate, glycoalkanoids, tannins, oxalates, like phytoestrogens. There's a million things, so many compounds in there that are toxic, uh, extremely toxic. And they're well studied as well. And I had a lot of evidence as to why these things are toxic. Um, and so I basically just made the point that ingesting plants is microdosing, if not macrodosing poison. I mean, in many cases, you are macrodosing poison. A very small amount of plants are edible. Um, so that yeah. was sort of the next thing. That was the next thing that I talked about. I talked it's, a little bit about it. Do you want to just yeah. say real quick, it's interesting how most of us group fruits, we say fruits and vegetables, like they're the same thing. And it's like, okay, you've got the fruits. They might have a fattening effect. You've got the vegetables. Well, those have a toxic effect. They don't want to be eaten at all. And so you're right. Like we lump all of those together. I'm really glad that you kind of separated them out and talked about those two things as really what they are. They're two complete, distinct, different things. Right. Absolutely. They're so distinguishable. These are not the same things whatsoever. The fact that the guidelines put fruits and vegetables into the same category is just absurd. It, it, it's crazy. Um, insane. So, and then I talked about how I talked about like more little nuanced things that weren't actually in the main nine points, but things like antioxidants and how, how there's actually no benefit to eating exogenous antioxidants, like none whatsoever. Um, because we have the endogenous ones that are upregulated in a state of ketosis. So again, it ma makes, makes really, really zero sense. And then there are even studies showing that a 10 week period, um, without 
dietary fruits and and vegetables was a decrease in oxidative damage to DNA, uh, blood proteins and plasma lipids, which is just, you know, these studies are literally there, like they exist and people want to neglect them and look at epidemiology showing that the more fruits and vegetables you eat, the healthier you are. Well, obviously that's, that's the result you're going to find when those people are also drinking less alcohol, smoking less, more exercise, more sunlight, probably better off socioeconomically quite possibly. So again, it's just, you know, really poor arguments. It's bad and news. Then, it's bad news for people around here in Salt Lake City. We're like the multi-level marketing capital of the world. And there's whole yeah. companies based on like selling Jamoni juice from whatever Amazon forest, like for the antioxidants, like, like, please, like you're just getting into somebody's downline. You're not going to get any health benefit from this. I'm sorry. I know exactly. Right. Absolutely. No, no benefits to the to things like that. Um, yeah. The next point I made was simply that meat has everything that we need. So Every single nutrient is found in optimal ratios. But in this section, particularly, I talked about the things that aren't in plants. So the things that are only in meat and the ones specifically that I discussed were vitamin D3, vitamin B12, creatine, uh, carnitine, carnosine, heme iron, DHA, uh, taurine, vitamin B3, B2, retinol, selenium, B5, B6, and zinc. Plants really don't have these things, along with a lot of others, uh, a, lot, a lot of enzymes and stuff that's only in animal foods. Uh, so I, t- I talked about all that, uh, you know, just to s- sort of further cement this idea that no plant-based diets don't work. So at this point, we've kind of established, well, carbs are bad. Keto is good. Vegetables, bad. Fruits, bad. Meat, good. Meat has everything that we need. So that's So we're kind of getting there a little bit, but we're not quite there. Um, still, still have some more stuff to establish. Then talked about saturated fat, devoted a section to that. Um, talked about Ansel Keys and the past with that sort of thing, and how there's actually research in the past five years that's indicating saturated fat is not correlated with disease at all. Meat is correlated with longevity um, in a recent 2020 study, and there's no cancer risk for meat. The cancer risk is actually more so associated with fiber. Um, and certain plant foods. So, you know, again, like this stuff wasn't just panning out as, as, as people thought it, it would LDL, no risk in, in heart disease. It's actually LDL is inversely associated with a lot of, um, atherosclerotic events and it's inversely associated with psychiatric issues. So higher LDL means, uh, less psychiatric issues. Also 54% of breast milk is saturated fat. Like how could it be killing us if it's so ubiquitous in breast milk. Like what is that? How is this even real? How is this possible? Totally. Uh, just crazy ideas, right? Totally. Um, you yeah. mentioned, you mentioned LDL. Like if you go to any 10 year risk tracker and you put in certain stats from a, 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 um, a lipid profile, like there's not even a place where you can put LDL. It, it's, it's not even by these guys who make up the risk standards. You can't even enter LDL as a risk factor. Isn't it like half of people that have heart attacks have, have low to normal LDL. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable actually. Um, the idea is that since cholesterol is found in the plaques of, in like in atherosclerotic events, that it's the LDL that's causing the heart disease. Although the cholesterol only makes up a small percentage of the plaques, like something like 5%. And you can't blame the firefighter for starting the fire. The cholesterol goes as basically a repair mechanism and people think that it's the cause. And it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, it's really the sugar that's causing the heart disease. Uh, no doubt the sugar, probably the sugar mixed with the fat, um, exacerbates that. And next I talked about just 
why humans are carnivores, why we do best on carnivore diets, just from a, just looking at our physiology pretty much. Uh, and also, um, anthropology a bit. So you have things like bioenergetics, like we have high energy requirements that would require calorie dense animals simply because we wouldn't have been going around searching for food all day. Like we need to develop as humans. We needed to do that somehow. And the way we did that was by having time and not by searching for little vegetables to eat all day. Um, which wouldn't have been realistic anyway, because they don't have what we need. Like that's, that's a simple fact. So that wouldn't have worked regardless. Um, also the size of our brain increased. That's an easy one. I mean, we ate meat, it grew our brains. We stopped eating meat. Our brains got like 10% smaller. That's right. So it's like, it's very, very simple stuff. I mean, the fact that people can't wrap their heads around this is kind of baffling. Like, um, but yeah, uh, we have hot, we have an easy adaptation to a high fat diet. We literally do well in it. I mean, these carnivores are doing so well and sure it's anecdotal evidence, but the plural of anecdotes is evidence. It's a lot people, of anecdotes at this point. It's a lot of anecdotes. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's too much to neglect really. Um, omega-3s, another thing, like they're so important. We our, our brain is made of DHA and we don't get omega-3s from plants. Our omega-3 oil metabolism is basically contingent on those animal source foods. If you want to optimize that uh, one-to-one ratio or two-to-one. Stomach acidity. We have a stomach acid pH of like 1.5 to 2. Um, if we had eaten uh, only plants for so long, that's, that wouldn't be the case. Makes you no know, that, that wouldn't makes no sense. Yeah. Um, we can't digest fiber. <laughs> Why would we eat something that we can't even digest? We just poop it out. I mean, gorillas can convert that fiber to saturated fat and actually run on that fat. We can't do that. Um, you know, th- th- there's a lot of reasons like the age at which babies stop consuming breast milk or longevity, how everything is more bioavailable in meat. Um, how we've sort of targeted fat animals, stable isotope testing, tooth decay in the last 10,000 years are sort of, we have behavioral similarities. It's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of reasons why we are accustomed to eating meat. And I think, yeah. So then what, what I talked a little bit about was the Harvard study. Um, again, not, not, not your highest quality evidence, but the results that people found in that 2021 Harvard study were just amazing. Like so much the amount of resolution of former issues was just kind of yeah. amazing. Yeah. It was really, really cool. It was cool. Yeah. And again, you're right. It's not the highest quality evidence, but when you have this many people, what was it? 2000 participants that they used and it was self-reported, but like the percentages that you're seeing of people that have skin issues and reverse their type two diabetes and lost weight. Like it's, it's pretty staggering. It's pretty staggering. And when I bring that study up to people, they always say kind of what you mentioned, like, oh, this is low quality. And it's like, yeah, it is. But again, that is a mountain of anecdote on top of already a mountain of anecdote. It's pretty crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah. After that, I talked about paleo medicina and um, you're probably familiar with them, just what they're doing, implementing these basically paleolithic ketogenic diets talked about the Inuit and the Maasai and how they're healthy and um, on, on these animal based diets, basically carnivore diets, really talked about the Petersons a little bit, um, just very, very briefly touching on them. And then I think what the point that really sort of drove it home was talking about the Randall cycle and how it, we, can, we can't, we simply cannot combine fat and carbohydrate. It would have never happened in a natural context and our bodies simply can't do it. So, and I explained that a little bit. And basically that what that leaves you with is the idea that we have to consume one of two diets. Either we eat high fat and protein or we eat 
high carb and protein. There's no both. There's no mixed macronutrient diet uh, that can be good for us because it, it activates the Randall cycle. So you need to pick one. And there are no essential carbohydrates, absolutely zero. As I established in the essay, you know, we don't require them and they're harmful. They confer detriments, severe ones, even vegetables do. And as, as far as fat goes, well, there are essential fats. Fat is amazing for us. It gets us into a state of ketosis. The brain runs on it. We do better on it. Um, the anecdotes corroborate that. So, you know, it gets very, very simple. And just by the end, if you sort of just look through everything, you accept the premises, you don't really have a choice but to uh, concede to the the notion that carnivore is best. I did spend time talking about the environment as well. Um, a few pages on that, maybe just, just to sort of drive it home. And anyone who is doubtful and hesitant to do it for that reason would kind of get that, get that thought out of their head. But that's the essay. Uh, wow. In a nutshell, that's the essay. Yeah. How many pages did it end up being? Uh, with before sources, it was about forty-five, nice. and then seven seventy-five with sources. Yeah. Wow, wow, that's crazy. The, the best reaction was Doctor Chafee when you were on his show. He was like, "Holy shit! Like, I hate writing. I would never want to do that." What an amazing yeah, yeah. resource! Now, though, how was it received when you presented it? Was it something that you had to read in front of the group, or how did you submit it or present it? Um. It wasn't read by a lot of people. Um, I always had a feeling that I would end up doing something with it because it was such a, it was a piece of work that I was so proud of. So I, I kind of, I, I didn't want to like send it to everyone, but um, it, my, my teacher liked it. He's a, he's a vegetarian, funny enough. Uh, I don't think I changed his mind. He was sort of very, very stuck in his ways, you could say, and wouldn't change his mind. But, um, you know, uh, for other people, like I had a lot of friends who read it. They really enjoyed it. Um, but I found the most success with explaining the carnivore diet when I can simply do it face to face and just explain, um, just th th there's a bit of an emotional sort of factor when it comes to talking with people and convincing them about stuff. That's just more powerful than a piece of paper and some words on it. Just having that connection with someone can, can really just have a, have a cool effect. So, um, I I've seen more su success with that. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a cool thing that I, that I have and, um, it'll be out, uh, for people to look at soon enough. No, that's great. I was going to ask you if you were going to do something with it. Are you going to publish it? Yeah, it's actually being published in a person's book. Um, it's a, it's a longevity book that they're writing. Um, and it's, it's a, supposed to be a, pre, a relatively big book coming out. And so I'll, I'll like post all about that and, no, it's really exciting um, that I that I'm able to do something with this. Uh, otherwise, I I would have just yeah. No, it's 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 exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. amazing. That's so cool. I love that you covered this so comprehensively. And this might be a difficult question to answer because there's so many experts out there. But I'm just curious, like who are your like who are the people that you followed and cited the most in the book in this book? Who or in in your essay? Who were like the rock stars of the research that you read? Um, well, since, I mean, there was no carnivore names cause they don't do research. So it was more just the, like the people doing the keto studies. And I don't think there were any real like standout names of people who conducted the studies, but, um, just like in general, I guess people who have inspired me to, you could, I, I could answer say, I could say who's inspired me to go on this journey and to like actually yeah. write the, the essay, which would definitely be, um, I would say Dr. Kiltz, it would be Bart K, and it would probably be Dr. Chafee as well. 
Um, I'm just just huge fans of them. Um, I, I really like Dr. Coates, actually. He's he may, he might be my favorite. That's awesome. I think he's so knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah, we love his book, Fertile Feast, which we have. Um, and his content's amazing. I love how he makes his content so approachable. I was curious if there was like research that you cited from like Thomas Seyfried or Mickey Bendor. It sounds like a lot of the evolutionary oh, stuff kind of came from Mickey Bendor, um, which is amazing. Like he goes as far as saying like, this is why our shoulders are like this. This is why humans can carry things way more than a primate can. This is why your hips are built this certain way. Like it goes down this level of like, how can you, how can you deny this when this is like, you said like it's checking so many boxes it's amazing yeah no no oh you're actually right bendor was like he was the whole um guy the whole that was the whole study i used for the um anthropological sort of like argument it, it was all it was only from his study he did it was a brilliant study like so well done so many amazing points so yeah, yeah. He, he was the guy for that one. He retired as an economist at age like 52 so he could go to school and get his doctorate in in paleoarchaeology so he could be able to do this research now as a 60-year-old thriving on a carnivore diet and putting out these amazing stories. He's got a book coming out soon. Like, what a cool guy. Like, what an amazing story he has. Is he on carnivore? That's cool. Yeah, he learned, um, it was like a year or two ago, he did a genetic test and found out that that his, you know, phenotype or whatever just didn't handle plants very well. So I don't think he's super, super strict, but yeah, he thrives on carnivore. We've interviewed him twice, and every time we interview him, he looks like he's more and more fit every time, which is so common, as you know, in the carnivore world. Like, everybody's reverse aging magically. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. That's great. I actually, I, I would love to get in touch with them. That, that'd be cool. He's so cool. Um, I'll, I'll set up a, I'll set up a conversation between the two of you. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. You got it, dude. So, okay. So you, you've made this argument. Where have been the biggest pushbacks? Where have been the biggest, um, kind of sticking points for most people? Mm, like where people sort of contend with the carnivore diet and why yeah. it might not be. Yeah. Maybe yeah. like, like what, what is the most like surprising thing for people or hard to accept, I guess. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, I think one of the most, I'd say intelligent, you could say arguments I've gotten to sort of combat the carnivore diet is something called antagonistic pleiotropy. Um, this idea that we have one gene that codes for something that's beneficial in the pre-reproductive stage, but in the post-reproductive stage, it's harmful. So like multiple phenotypes, it's, it's this interesting idea. So it's like, you eat your natural diet, natural selection wants you to die after you reproduce because there's no reason for you to stay alive. So the idea is that, well, if you eat your natural diet, which is meat and fat, then, or protein and fat, well, what happens is, sure, you're going to thrive in the pre-reproductive stage, but once you reproduce, there's no longer a pressure for you to stay alive. So your body, you know, is going to recede and you're going to succumb to senescence. And this is why ancient humans died so young. And I kind of thought about this, like, wow, like, well, what if he's right? And um, quickly sort of got out of that. Um, this, because there's a lot of reasons why it actually doesn't make sense. Um, Bart K, I, I brought this up to him because I was so curious. And he said, well, think about how important the elders are in, in um, humanity, like how we learn so much from them and how they pass on information. Uh, and you know, he, he brought up a lot of good points as to why this antagonistic pleiotropy idea may not be uh, as applicable to human nutrition or nutrition in any uh, species as this person I was talking with thought it would be. Um, and then with other things on carnivore, some sort of pushback, I guess. Hmm. It, it, it's a good question. Uh, it's 
Mm. Well, like a lot of them say, well, we, we ate some, we ate some plants like through our, in the past, we ate some plants, like we're omnivores. And I say, well, yeah, we probably did eat some plants, but we only ate them when we were starving. You know, these things, this is not a food that we require. We're facultative carnivores, meaning that when meat is around, we eat it. And when we don't need to eat plants, we don't eat them. They're a source of energy that is suboptimal that we don't want to have. And you look through history and you look at what plant-based diets do uh, to a population. Well, they make them easily controlled. Um, even today, like you have populations like North Korea who are only fed rice. Like it's no wonder they're just completely controlled by the the government. And, um, you know, so there's some pushback I get, but I don't get any really, really strong arguments. And I'm like, Oh my God, I need to reconsider everything that I've thought about. It's some little things here and there that I kind of have to think about and just take a sec to really, uh, comprehend. But, um, you know, I, I think, I think we got the right answer and there's not really a way to debunk the truth. So yeah, I, I think a good thing to follow in science is if you have a hypothesis, you know, you can't prove the hypothesis, you'll never be able to prove it. But if it's looking more and more and more and more and more correct over time, you're probably somewhere in the ballpark of, of what is true. And if you believe that saturated fat and fat is bad for you, and over time, that's looking worse and worse and worse and worse. And they keep doubling down on nutritional recommendations that are promoting this, but the science isn't there. And the more studies that are done, and the more anecdote that's out there, it's looking more and more poor. Well, you can kind of start to throw away that hypothesis. You know, that's not right. It's being proven, disproven over time. Um, and I think right. about, I think about what you said with, you know, people aging out and not being able to reproduce. We are one of the only species, if not the only species where we do have, you know, people that last far longer, um, you know, decades longer after their reproductive ages. But I, I just think of like the whole grandmother theory, like you're right. Like that's where we get our wisdom. Like, like, 90-year-old Greek women love to cook for their families, and they still do to this day and carry hot pots of soup up and down stairs like savages, just like so cool because they, they're eating a proper diet and they're respected in their communities. It's it's very different than, you know, the normal standard American thing where people are getting, you know, sarcopenic and, and sick at age 40, 50, 60, and they have to go into nursing homes. Totally different. Right. No, definitely. Which is why the, the antagonist supply trophy idea doesn't really make sense. I mean, as you said, that, that theory, I, I couldn't put a name to it, but the, um, that, that, the grandmother theory you could say is, is just, uh, it, it's great. I mean, it, it, it makes sense why we wouldn't die right after reproducing, having the knowledge passed down from the elders, from the older people with wisdom is definitely beneficial was definitely conducive to our growth as a species. Yeah, totally. The, the knowledge of the plants and animals and how to hunt and all of that stuff would have needed to be, you know, com communicated verbally. We didn't have writing back then. Like it was really important for that chain to continue. And I love that you mentioned, you know, did we eat plant foods? We asked Mickey Bender the same thing. Are we omnivores? He says, yes, absolutely. There's no doubt about it, but we specialize. It's not that it's a 50, 50, you know, plant and animal. We specialize, we're carnivore, and we can tolerate some plants, but it's not our normal diet. It's not what we should be running our bodies on all of the time. You were talking earlier about the difference between ketosis, and I'm going to use a term that our former guest Dave Champion used, where he calls the opposite of ketosis, glucosis. He kind of coined mm. that term, and I think that's a really interesting way to think of these two systems running and and the, the the glucosis system using the liver to process carbohydrates is an emergency backup. This is not your normal engine. This should be used extremely rarely. Ketosis is the normal state. I think that's such a better way to think about it. I get so frustrated when people say, "Oh, keto's a fad." Like, no, it's really not. Yeah, 
glucose is that's great. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. He, he explains it really well in his book, uh, Body Science. I highly recommend it to people. He talks about how cholesterol moves through the body and how fat is processed by entering, you know, up through the lymphatic system rather than going directly to the liver and how all its contents are delivered before it can even get to the liver. He explains it really clearly and makes a really compelling case for like, yeah, this is our normal state. Ketosis is the normal state. It glucosis and running your body on lots of carbs and sugar and plants is absolutely an emergency. Should not happen very often. And we see the results of what happens when people do like go, go walk around. Yeah, wow. absolutely. No, 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 hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So where do you see your research going from here? What, how do you see this kind of playing out for the rest of your life? Is this something that you want to get into professionally? You're going to study this, you know, in, in school, like where do you see this going in the future for you? Yeah. As much as I'd love to do research, as much as I'd love to have that doctor title name so I can be a bit more respected and understood, I know that getting those titles is not actually reflective of knowledge that I need to help people. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very much opposed to taking the whole doctor route and going, sacrificing eight or 10 years or whatever to become a doctor when I could take that time, learn, like learn a lot. Um, to the point where I understand this stuff better than anyone else does. And I can really, really help people uh, really, really gain an understanding of things, grow my platform so that I reach a, a larger number of people. And I think all of that is, you know, sounds really, really good to me, just be having a large effect on people. And I, I think I've, I've given it some thought. I think the best way for me to see, like reach my goals, which is to help people and also be able to do so in a way that doesn't require me to get another job and sit behind a desk all day and sit in a, like in a room with a computer and a suit on, like, so I could actually enjoy my life. I think the best way for me to do that would be to leave college actually at some point very, very soon. I'll try to grow my platforms, hopefully travel the world, um, continue doing the, you could call it coaching that I'm doing the consultations and um, which are, you know, going pretty well for me right now. The YouTube is going well for me right now. Just continue doing that and working really hard on those things, continue learning um, and just making friends and connections, uh, doing talks with people, all that stuff. I think that's just the best way for me to go about this. And I think if I do that, stick to that path, um, like continuing will actually work out for me and I could just you know, live a happy life. That's, that's incredible. Cool. Dude, that's incredible. I, I look at the way we've created our lives here and, you know, we don't make millions of dollars, but we we train our people, we help people across the world and we have this nice platform now that we have so much time to host amazing people like you. And it's, it's so enriching. It's such an amazing thing, like to, to wake up every day and have energy and feel great and know you can help somebody and change the world, you know, one person at a time. It, it's really, it's really amazing. I wouldn't trade it for any of the money in the world. I'm so glad you decided to do that. Why did you decide that YouTube was going to be your primary platform? Yeah. Um, I feel like YouTube is a good place to, to it's just the best place to reach people uh, at this time. I, in my opinion, um, it was, it, I didn't have many other options as far as like making a video that blows up and like building a platform. Um, just from my understanding, which of social media, which is practically none when I started just putting out YouTube videos every day was the best idea. Um, I kind of had this idea like, okay, I know that I'm in a special position here. I'm carnivore. I'm smart. I'm 18. I can, if I put out a video every day and it doesn't for a year and it doesn't blow up, well, I could at least say I tried. Um, so that's what I've been doing. I started a few months ago and 
at this point, like I've already sort of reached that that goal. So I'm going to continue putting out videos, but like my deal was, you know, I'm just going to put out videos for a year, every day for a year. And I'm going to put out high quality content. It's, and the thing is, even if this fails, right, even if it crashes and burns, I'll at least have gotten some exposure to editing and putting out content and all I've learned along the way, all I've learned how to present myself properly and speak more coherently. And it would have been a, it would have been a, a win regardless, even if I lost in the YouTube thing. Fortunately, at this point, the YouTube's going well. It's kind of a win-win because I, every time I put out a video, I'm learning something, I'm speaking to cool people and I'm basically ensuring a, a future for myself that doesn't force me to do the boring things that I mentioned. So, you know, th- things, things are um, working out. That, that's why I decided on YouTube, um, just, just sort of convenience, I guess. That's amazing. I know it's <laughs> being a podcast host. I, I don't know how I would answer this. They're all, every episode is like your, your child or whatever, like they're all special, but can you think back and maybe talk about two or three really special episodes that you did? Um, they could be, you know, really big ones that got lots of downloads or just even some that are more recent that, that, that you like really appreciated or, or took something really important away from. Yeah, I did one recently um, with this woman who she had she was vegan for a period of time, vegetarian, and um, she had like terrible suicidal thoughts that she was about to kill herself and eventually just started eating meat, like had been vegan for a long time and then says, "Okay, this is bad. I'm giving up on this goes, eats a cheese quesadilla. And she said she felt like her eyes like light up some, some just insane relief. Um, and, and I, I, I'm not doing justice to how well she described this, her feeling, her just euphoric feeling, but I kind of sat there. I was like, wow, this is really, really powerful stuff. This is crazy that, that this happened. Um, and she, uh, now she's on carnivore. She's doing much better. And th- that was a really good one. Um, I like talking about that. I also enjoyed what else did I enjoy? Um, a woman who, basically started her childhood as carnivore. Um, just being in a Korean household, it was basically almost exclusively meat. She was fed because her parents knew. And then at one point she decided to go vegan uh, for whatever reason, and then went back to carnivore again. And so it was a cool sort of like t- discussion that we had about how that happened. And we talked about culture and um, that was really interesting. Emily Penton, I don't know if you know who she is, but she's a, a coach in the, in the carnivore space, cured her bipolar, her MS. Um, also suicidal thoughts. I think the amelioration of psychedelic or psychiatric issues is really, really powerful because we so commonly dissociate diet from the way our brain works. And um, so when I get people like that talking about how they, they're no longer depressed, it's just very, very cool to me to, to hear that. Uh, so th- those are a few of my favorites. I also love the professionals, of course, the people who know the science like Bart and Anthony Chafee. Um, but I, I'd say, you know, I, I like the ones that I mentioned a lot. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. I love that mix of people of, you know, what we would call like day-to-day people and lay people who have amazing stories to tell, but also the people who are working in clinics or are doing the research as well. I think that's absolutely wonderful. What have you learned from being consistent with your process? I, I can tell you doing one YouTube video every single day is it's a lot of work. We do the same thing. We put out one video every single day. It's a lot of work. You're right. Like over time, you we, we have this yet mentality or the growth mindset of like, okay, I don't know how to edit. I don't know how to make this high quality, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn along the way. I'm just curious, like what have you learned about just the process itself of committing to something and staying on track with what you promised to do yourself? Because if you skipped a Tuesday, 
you know, your your watchers might notice, but they might not care. What 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 may, what drives you to be so consistent with him? What have you learned from that particular journey? I have an all or nothing mentality. So if I do something, I'm going to do it. Like if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Because if I slip up, I don't. It's like the all or nothing. If I slip up, I don't want. I I don't. I don't want to slip up. I don't want to risk the possibility of being okay with not being perfect, right? Like I want, I want to hold myself to high standards. And if I miss a Tuesday, for example, well then maybe I'll say, oh, okay, didn't really do anything. I'll miss a Thursday too. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to work really, really hard to make this good. Um, it, it's, it's a growth mindset. It, it, it is. I think, um, a lot of people, a lot of us in this space have a similar mindset when it comes to these sort of things. We're all very, very similar in that not only are we open-minded about things, but we, we like to, you know, um, a lot of us are, have the all or nothing mentality too. Like a lot of us do, because there's so many of the vegans who go carnivore and it's just, you sort of have that, you're sort of in that headspace for your life. Um, so yeah, I, I've learned, I've learned about editing. Um, didn't know how to work iMovie before this quickly learned how to do iMovie, learned how to record videos. Like that took, that was a little bit of a process learning how to use OBS and then get a camera, get a mic figure out how everything works, plugging, plugging it in, making thumbnails, like learning how to get software for that, how to like, how to get the spacer on my face removed, like move, remove the background, like little, little stupid random things that people kind of just don't really realize you have to do. It's like, there's a, there's a fair amount of things to do, but just having this, um, exposure, like having done this, it's so incredibly valuable. I mean, not only have I met some of the most amazing people, but I've learned so much. I've Before this, I could never speak to someone the way I'm speaking to you. I've gotten so used to talking that I've gotten pretty good at it. I, I can talk to people now. I can speak. Um, I, I used to have a really bad stutter. I can actually talk now. This has been such a great and helpful experience for me. I, I'm, I'm just, it's changed my life really. Even, even if I didn't have a bunch of subs right now, it would still have been a, a great, great experience just because of how I've transformed as a person. That's amazing. I absolutely love that story. Dude, when we, when we first interviewed Nina Teicholz, I choked up on the introduction. Like I, I almost like couldn't get through the introduction because I was like, I cannot believe I'm, I'm, I'm speaking with Nina Teicholz. What is going on? Like, it, it was so impactful and it's so fun to have those conversations. It's so cool too, that you're learning those skills that are going to impact you in all sorts of ways in life. I, I love that. I think too, you learn the, the, the skill and the importance of listening and helping people create their stories and just allowing them the space to be able to tell, you know, their incredible stories, which is then going to go out into, you know, internet world and help people for as long as it's published there. It's really amazing. Yeah, no, it, it's awesome. Um, I'm I'm really enjoying this. I'm so grateful to have done this. I mean, in high school, I was just, it was all about making money to me. Uh, and I still think that there's a potential here to really monetize this. Um, considering we have the knowledge that's, uh, we have the knowledge that could be used to save people billions of dollars cumulatively. Um, so, you know, um, I, I think there's, there is a way to sort of uh, reallocate that money towards more of a carnivore, low carb approach via things like making programs and, um, making, you know, food products. And I think there are ways to do it. Uh, because I don't, I, I hate the idea that people are getting rich by promoting malnutrition. I, I really hate that. Um, 
so yeah, uh, it's, it's been great. Um, yeah, I've been enjoying myself. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I think there's definitely a way to create programs that aren't scammy, that really help people that can be done at a very high value for people that, that will really change lives. So I'm so glad that's on your radar. Um, I think my last question is going to be home life. How have things gone in the home, especially the relationship with your mom? This can be pretty tricky for a lot of people. Um, when you know, you, the son is finding all of this research in this world that wasn't necessarily kind of taught to your mom who has been in this world for a very long time. How has that kind of evolved? Has that gone well for both of you or has there been tough points there? My mom didn't eat beef for like 30 years wow. uh, before, b- before, um, maybe even 40, 40, 40, probably 40 years before, um, I started carnivore and I've got her to eat beef now. She's wow. great. Um, yes, it's awesome. But uh, since she loves, she loves beef, she really likes how it tastes. It was just a really a mental block, um, for a long time. And she's now sort of recommending keto keto and low carb and more meat to a lot of her clients, more fat, more animal fat, which is a big step, especially considering she's been in practice for such a long time and has done the same course of action. I mean, she's very, very open-minded, like I am. And it's just cool that she's just giving credence to what I'm doing and she understands it. I think she understands that this is the best way of eating. I really believe that. Um, so it, it's been great. Um, n- no issues there at all. The issues do arise not with my mom, but with other people like in the family kind of, um, yeah, but it's, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. I just try to explain it to them. Some are more open-minded than others. Some just really don't want to hear it, which is fine. Um, you know, it, it is what it is, but, yeah, it's as far as just my mom and her nutrition uh, consults go. She's you know doing. Uh, I'm really happy to hear when I'm when I'm at home and she's talking about eating more animal protein, animal fat. Uh, so yeah. Wow! Big shout out to her. Then that that is very challenging for a lot of people to um, you know learn new things along the way and, and and you know try them out, accept them. And so amazing that you could be such a big part of her life. And you think about the ripple effect that you're having not only on your channel on Instagram, but also um, you know with your mom. And and now she's going to be impacting so many more people and those families, and that can go on for a very very long time. So it's just it's such a cool story. I absolutely loved this conversation and being able to chat with you, Joey. Where can people go to find you? to connect with you and your work yeah um uh, youtube is just carnivore camaraderie uh my instagram is at carnivore underscore camaraderie i have a website coming soon um that's someone was generous enough to build for me which is just that was unbelievable i mean someone just sent someone sent me an email and they built a whole really really nice website for me a nice link tree just uh, like really really well designed and you know just again, it's just a, just a testament to the people who are in this space. And um, yeah, so th- that's coming soon. CarnivoreCamaraderie.com when it in a few days. Um, and besides that, you can find my email in uh, my YouTube about section. And uh, that's about it. So, yeah. That's awesome. We will link, we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Congratulations on the new website. That's amazing. It's so cool that somebody would be willing to do that. And it's, it's just the importance of this message. This message has to get out there. And I I noticed that it's kind of like you were saying earlier, so many people, when they find this way of life, they can't shut up about it. They're on fire about it. Have to share this in any way possible. And to see you doing the same and getting your message out is really amazing. It's in a way that is, you know, really positive and is not 
confrontational at all that I can tell. And so just so appreciative of you and everything that you've done and the message that you're sharing. So thank you so very much, Joey, for making time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you. This was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was such an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We are also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon, check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you as always for listening to Boundless Body Radio.